Rev it up and welcome to Cars Yeah, show number 2189. Be prepared to be inspired. This is Cars Yeah, where you'll enjoy interviews with inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Mark Green is here to provide you with a fuel injection of automotive inspiration. So get in, sit down, buckle up, and get ready for a wild ride here on Cars Yeah. Hello, inspiring automotive enthusiasts, and welcome to Cars Yeah. Today I'm in Marion Station. Where's Marion Station? We'll find out in a minute with a very special guest by the name of Max Kaiserman. Max, welcome to Cars Yeah. Do you have any gear? And are you ready to release the clutch? I'm ready, Mark. All right, we'll have some fun. Now, before I give you a proper introduction and we get into this very cool business you've created, what's one little thing that people don't know about you, Max? Uh, one little thing that people don't know about me. I am a, <laughs> I did voices when I was a kid and then I actually worked in radio for a little while, which, uh, which is funny that we're doing a podcast here and, um, the new radio. Yeah, exactly. The new radio. Um, uh, but I know I worked at an AM radio station as a, uh, right out of, or in college. I was the specialist at doing different, you know, we do commercials and stuff. So, cause only three or four people worked in the station, we'd all do different voices for the commercials. So, you know, like we're doing a commercial for a, a funeral home or something and you do it very dour, you know, it's a <clears throat> Rosenberg's funeral home, you know, like that's, and then, and then there'd be something like a kid's thing and you'd, you'd like a Phillies game coming up or whatever. So somebody would do another voice. So yeah. just three people, but we had probably 50 people on staff. You know? <laughs> so they thought, yeah, so I did. I did a lot of those voices. Okay. So I'm going to have you do a, the coolest or goofiest or funniest voice for me. And what I want you to say is this is Max Kaiserman on Cars. Yeah. Well, I, so I can do all the family guy voices really well. Oh, really? Okay. Well, you pick anyone oh, yeah, you yeah. want. You pick anyone you want. Are you, are you a family guy fan? Uh, a little bit. I don't, I don't watch a lot of TV, but I, I do know some of the voices. And of course I knew Adam West and he was a, you know, a voice on there. Oh, really? Yeah. So, well, so I did. So I have the same voice as Seth MacFarlane, so I can do Peter Stewie and Quagmire. Okay. And stuff well, like you, that. you do one again. This is Max Kaiserman with Mark Green on Cars. Yeah. All right. You go. But I, I do it as Stewie. You want me to just do Stewie? Okay. Hi, this is Stewie Griffin and we're with Mark. Green on cars, yeah, yeah. Tune in any anytime you want. I love it. It's the internet, folks. <laughs> See, you were made for this. Yeah, that was perfect. Yeah. Very good. Cars, yeah. Cars, yeah, yeah, yeah. You do much better than I do. Well, let me give you a proper. Now that we're laughing, let me give you a proper introduction. Max Kaiserman, one of many talents, uh, is the owner of Luna Replicas, a vintage automotive and space apparel company, recreating the clothing and gear from the 1960s classic racing teams, as well as early NASA programs. How cool is that? Max has always had a passion for classic cars and other machines, specifically airplanes and steamships and the uniforms and equipment that goes with them. He has inspired others to be interested in history, technology, and turning wrenches through Luna. Through exactly replicated apparel and gear, making history fashionable can be a gateway to historic inspirations. Max works with preserving and interpreting museum collections and enjoys working on his classic cars, which include some unique rides, an old army Jeep, a Bel Air, a GT350 Mustang clone, like I used to have, a 72 Corvette convertible. And guess what? He's also got astronaut Al Warden's 71 custom LS5 Corvette from Apollo 15. This is one cool dude. We'll be back in just a moment. So park your spaceship and we'll be right back. Autumn has arrived. The weather's changing. 
And that means your vehicles need extra protection against everything Mother Nature can drop. Covercraft offers you a multitude of layers of protection for your special rides. Are you putting your summer toys away? Watercraft, RV, motorcycles, trailers, or even your patio furniture? Covercraft has a custom fit cover for whatever your need. Covercraft offers you 10 different car cover options. That's right, 10 for your special vehicle's protection, whether stored inside or out. All carefully crafted into the form and fit with the quality and attention to detail that's been their standard since 1965. And don't forget their custom fit seat covers, pet pad, Fido's going to get wet and muddy, I guarantee it, dash mats, sunscreens, and custom fit floor mats and trunk mats. Whatever the surface you want to protect, Covercraft has your solution. If you use the code ya 21 at Covercraft.com, you'll get 10% off your Covercraft order. That's right, 10% off. Simply use the code YEAH21 at checkout. Come on, Mother Nature, bring it on. Covercraft, protecting the things that move you. When it was time to renew my collector car policy, my carrier raised my rates by a lot. But why? My usage was the same, my car's value was the same, and I had never made a claim. I didn't even have a ticket. The only change was their rate, and they had no reason why. What's with that? I researched my options, I spoke to others, and with American Collectors Insurance, what a difference. A live person actually answers the phone. She spent time learning about me. Why wait until your next premium is due? Give them a call today for your personal agreed value quote. Call 866-AC1-YEAH. That's 866-224-9324. Tell them you're a friend of mine. Mark Green at Cars Yeah. American Collectors Insurance. Classic car insurance designed by collectors for collectors. Automotive enthusiasts just like you and me. That's American Collectors Insurance. Fall is here, and you know what that means. Time to put a good coat of protection on your vehicle. I'm teamed up with AutoGeek, and they've been the leading source of auto detailing products, accessories, and expert knowledge for more than 20 years. What started back in 1997 as a small mail-order catalog company grew into a multi-website-based e-commerce store, and that's what they are today. With a large online presence on its own website featuring close to 100 different brands, AutoGeek has grown to be the largest car care retailer in the country. AutoGeek's wholesale program serves accounts in over 30 countries, and its retail sector ships worldwide. If you want to protect your vehicle this fall, and you should, go to AutoGeek.net for the best product selection on the internet today and technical support. AutoGeek.net is where I go for my detailing needs. That's AutoGeek.net. All right, Max. Well, we are back. So we're going to talk about how did this whole crazy (laughs) fun idea for a business come about? Because looking on your website just makes me smile. And I'm friends with Peter Brock, and I've seen him wearing a jacket that looks just like a jacket. Maybe he bought it from you. He did. did. Okay, there you go. Well, well, we gave it to him, actually. Peter gets a free one. Well, of course, Peter's Peter, right? So, uh, yeah, I think that's cool. So how did this all come about, Luna Replicas? Mark, that's a really great question, and if your podcast is about four hours long, I can <laughs> well, I can give you the whole story. We got to do the condensed version here, yeah, the, so the, yeah, <laughs> right. The Campbell Soup version yeah. is uh, is basically I as a hobby. I was a reenactor. You know, I did World War II reenacting and stuff with. Uh, specifically with museums. So like the the level at which we did it was more than just, you know, the weekend Civil War reenactment or something like that. It was uh, museum programming. 
what we call living history and the uniforms and equipment for that, especially I'm a, I'm a bigger guy. I'm six foot three, 200 pounds. Like I, you know, at the time, um, I, uh, you know, some, so a lot of this stuff needs to be reproduced, especially now it's 50, 60, 70 years later, World War II equipment's falling apart. So the level at which the reproductions of World War II equipment was made was so perfect. And I said, you know, why don't, why doesn't anybody do this with NASA stuff? especially a lot of that stuff's really cool to wear. And from my living history background, I knew that when you put the uniform on, when you show kids or even, you know, adults, anybody, when you immerse them in a historical experience, you learn it a lot better. You take it to heart and the people that are doing it immerse themselves in it as well in so that they can tell the personal story that they can that they can impart something that they've learned it's not just wartime but you know uh, like living history museums like uh, Mount Vernon or Colonial Williamsburg and stuff that's just this immersive experience it gets you into the mood and and you learn history a lot better than sitting you know in a lecture or reading it in a book so I said why not you know NASA programs and because and it's the same time period we kind of extended into uh, historic racing and automotive, also American car racing. But the NASA component of it was, this is 50 years since the beginning, at the time, the uh, 50 years since the beginning of the Apollo program. Several of the astronauts actually were were doing outreach. You know, Apollo astronauts were doing programs and talks and things. And actually, one of them reached out to me. Uh, uh, astronaut Al Warden himself had said, "Wow, you know, yeah." Well, so I, I had I had started talking with some folks about people that make these reproduction uniforms. I said, "Well, why don't we do you know an NASA flight jacket? It's based on a military jacket. It's just different colors. It's unique and different patches and stuff." And um, he had gotten word of that somehow, and they said, oh, well, you know, this guy Max is working on this, and I got a phone call, and I, he said, oh, it's Al Wharton. How you doing? And I, you know, I don't, I <laughs> like nearly Al fell Wharton. out of my chair, you know? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I was, I, I tell the story, I was in a meeting, I, like, I, I work in commercial real estate as my day job, and uh, I was in a meeting, and, I, like, I picked up the phone, it's just a weird number from, you know, it was Michigan number, and I pick up, and I said, this is an emergency, I have to leave the meeting. <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> you don't hang up on an Apollo astronaut, you know, and, um, and he said, you know, I, I, I was already kind of getting the wheels turning on this and he, he was very supportive. He said, you know, when you get it really going, give me a call. And I, and I got it going. And the message that it's not just, as you said in the intro, you know, this is not just uh, fashion for fashion's sake or, or for, you know, reproduction sake. Uh, the mission is really to get people interested. So all of this comes from my work with museums and trying to educate people and get them deeper into this, you know, have a personal connection and make it part of their everyday life. And I think that, you know, making it a piece of fashion and, you know, you look in the mirror and you're like, man, I look really cool. Maybe one day I could be an astronaut or something like that. And that's exactly what Al Warden thought too, which is why he put his name on it. We did a special line, a signature edition Al Warden uh, jacket that's based on the jacket that he wore in 1966 when he first became an astronaut. And, um, I was very privileged to know him for the, the last about two years of his life. Uh, he died at the beginning of COVID and, uh, and we've continued that. And since then, actually I have more with, with the warden family and his grandson, Will, we've sort of inherited his, uh, his Corvette, um, nice. Yeah. Nice. yeah. And, 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 and the, and the goal of that car is very similar to the rest of the the rest of lunar replicas, which is getting people interested in, in history and space and engineering and stuff. Well, and of course, cars. Yeah. You know, you've also got a Shelby line of goods, which is very, very cool. And, you know, for us oh, yeah. car guys, I mean, to be able to 
reinvent ourselves or relive, if you will, the history. And that's what those of us who love old cars, you and I are like that, and the listeners here love old cars, is to be able to wear what they wore back when and live the part. I mean, you go to a Cars and Coffee or a car show or a Concours or whatever, and you see people wearing, we mentioned Peter Brock uh, wearing your jacket. I see him with that jacket on all the time. And I got to spend uh, a weekend with Peter. My wife and I were invited to his home, he and his wife, Gail, and we spent the weekend there. And he took us to a Cars and Coffee. I got to drive with him in his uh, Daytona, and my wife mm-hmm. Jill drove with Gail in her Daytona. And there's no back seat in that Daytona. No, 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 no. They brought two Daytonas. Yeah, that's the <laughs> yeah. Brock's for you. But you know, he shows up with a jacket, and it's just—it's all part of the deal. So as you create these things for people, you're helping us kind of relive our youth in some ways, our passion in some ways, and and so you've created like a real business out of this little side hustle thing, right? Yeah. Well, and, and, and honestly, I mean, I've said this to people a million times. If I break even, I'm very happy. If I don't break even, you know, at least I put smiles on people's faces and stuff like that, or I got people interested in it. Now, what you said actually is very poignant. Car guys are kind of reliving history. I mean, you're, you're taking a, a piece of history and depending on, you know, the school of thought, how you restore a classic car, do you modify it and make it more comfortable, put airbags in it and stuff like that, or, you know, modify it so that it's got lights and it jumps and whatever. Um, or do you bring it back to the historical car that it was, you know, right the day it rolled off the line? You're a piece of history. And and as a current owner, you're a caretaker. You know, Jay Leno says this, you know, he's a caretaker. He doesn't own any of these cars. He's just the next steward for the next generation. And mm-hmm. if he can keep them around or, you know, ensure their future, that's, you know, his job done. This is kind of the same thing. I, I think that, you know, the cars and the mechanical and the and the uh, nuts and bolts of of car restoration is like half of the story. The other half is who designed it, who worked on them, who raced them what their place in history was and, and the, the guys and sometimes gals that were behind it. That's where the uniforms come in. Yeah. You know, this is what they wore. This is the, the team shirt or the jacket that became the identity of that team. You know, they were very proud to wear these things. It's funny. I, I met Chuck Cantwell at the Simeone Foundation a couple uh, couple months back, and he came up to the nicest guy in the world, by the way. He and Peter Brock were there. Chuck was there. Um, the designer of the the Viper was there. And it was just this really amazing crowd. And if they, and if you didn't know who they were, they weren't going to tell, you know, they're just very humble guys. And Chuck came up to me and he said, you know, the GT350 crew was kind of on like this shoestring budget. Like people don't realize it was, you know, six or 10 of us or something. And then Ford would send us these cars, you know, we did it in, we did it in an airplane hangar. Right. Or they, when they moved to Venice, they changed their location, but we never got team shirts. And I said, well, Chuck. Have I got news for you? Yeah. You know, I know a guy. Years, I know a guy. And I handed him a team shirt and he put it right on and it just wow. brightened up his face. You know, but it was one of those things like it's uh, if it makes him feel good, then I think we know we're, we're in the right direction. And by the way, those guys all when they see someone else wearing it, they feel good, too. It's not like you're taking anything. It's not like stolen valor or anything. It's really you are becoming part of this. You're internalizing and you're making it part of your own identity, which is just so cool. I talk to astronauts uh, regularly, and it is not to brag or anything, but like these guys, um, you know, it was 50 years ago. The last man on the moon, Gene Cernan, uh, took his foot off the moon 50 years ago in about a month. Wow. And we're about to go back. I mean, like, you know, the Artemis program and stuff is about to go back. But for the last 50 years, there's been nothing. You know, these guys came back and there were ticker tape parades. They sent them around the world on these world tours and stuff. And now, you know, 
we moved on and, and people don't remember. I mean, it's this incredible time in American history. And the same thing with uh, with Chuck Cantwell and Peter Brock and Carol Shelby and stuff like that. I mean, the people that know, know, but a lot of people don't know. And you got to wait till like a movie comes out or, or, you know, something is fashionable. This is a way to bring it back. And when I talk to these guys, when I talk to Jim Lovell or Peter Brock or, or some of them, Peter Brock maybe is a little bit different because the car world is so big. But the NASA world is one of those kind of like, well, you got to, are you a NASA geek or something? Jim Lovell says to me, does anyone still care about this? How can you, have you sold many jackets? And I was like, are you kidding? Like, I can't keep them in stock. It's this amazing. And, and he's blown away by that. He loves that, that people are so into this, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's fun and you're bringing back history and helping people relive. And I think it's tremendous what you're doing. You know, I like to ask people about people who inspired you. You've mentioned a whole bunch of names already today that no doubt are inspirational in your lives. When you think yeah. about your business, Luna, is there a person that comes to mind that was a great influencer for you or inspiration for you to start this business? Yeah, absolutely. So, so I'll name a couple of people that are not, you know, particularly famous. I'm, I'm, uh, I've been known to name drop accidentally. I mean it very sincerely that I just, I've been blown away by how generous with, with their time and with their contribution to this little company that literally runs out of my basement. And I use some, uh, I use some manufacturing, uh, in Los Angeles. We try and do everything in the United States. Nice. So number one is my manufacturing partner, the guy that has made this happen and has the most amazing eye for detail and knows stone cold all the history. It's not just about the garments, it's about the history. And that's Monty Hom, who's my, my manufacturing partner. And he's like a brother to me. And I wish he could do more of this stuff with me, but we're, you know, we're halfway across the country. He lives in Los Angeles. I live in Philadelphia. So Monty is, is my, uh, like absolute brother with this thing. And he's incredible. He's a Chinese American and his great grandfather, I think was one of the founders of the San Francisco Chinatown and his entire family, uh, the male side of his family and uh, I think his mom's side and his wife are all military veterans. They've contributed to every United States conflict since the Spanish American war. Wow. Yeah. So he, he actually has an exhibit that, that was just, I, it's interesting. We talk about garments and stuff and usually, you know, you, you meet someone that, that makes dresses or whatever, or they build suits or something. And they're just a garment person. You know, my side of it is I meet historical people that also make reproduction clothing, you know, like that's, so his, uh, Monty has an exhibit actually, uh, it's called from Chinatown to the battleground, which goes through, history of Chinese Americans, Asians Americans in the United States military all the way back to the Civil War. And a lot of those people he highlights are are relatives of his. Wow. Yeah. And it's just very interesting. And I, and he has inspired me to go deeper into the racing stuff because he knew some of these guys. He knew Phil Remington. He knew, you know, in addition to military stuff, he's also been a car guy and he's got a 66 Mustang and like he's, um, he knew Charlie Agapu and stuff oh, wow. and some of the, uh, some of the other folks. Um, so, so I see a, I see a STP jacket in your future. Oh yeah. You, think no, of, gonna, you know, Granatelli and those guys. I, I want, we're we're going to do Goodyear. We're going to do Penske. We're going to do anybody that wants to do, you yeah. know, historic racing stuff. It's actually, and it's a, you're a Porsche guy. So under the umbrella of Lunar Replicas is Bowler Shirt and Uniform, which is the original company that 
provided uniforms and equipment to Shelby American and Ford and actually Porsche. Wow. Uh, I didn't know that. Yeah. You know, the lime green jackets like yes. from, uh, from Le Mans, the, the Steve McQueen movie, those were Bowler's 400 jackets. And wow. actually we're going to be reproducing a version of that okay. in the future. I, tell me when. <laughs> yeah. Right. I, well, I got to call Porsche first to see if oh. they're okay, but we can do the jacket without the name on it. You know, those guys. So the Von Henkel family founded bowler shirt and uniform back in you know the 50s and um they were originally for bowlers they were for you know sportsmen that that bowled and actually archery archers um and the design was this like gusseted t-shirt that was very flexible you know and it's made out of a material that that flexed in the shoulders and rick the son rick von hankel introduced the company to carol shelby and I'm not sure the, the whole history of it, but basically it was the the same needs of of pit crews and teams and stuff yeah, as some of they're moving team. around. They need to move sure. their arms and not be constricted, throwing a jack under a car, you know, pulling a wheel off or whatever, right. you know, like it was very similar. And so bowler shirt and uniform provided these uniforms. They designed parts of it. Peter Brock actually designed the CS logo mm-hmm. that became the patch for Cal Shelby Racing. Um, and then all the chain stitch and all the other stuff, you know, was all done. Uh, actually, the patches were made, too, in-house at Bowler Shirt and Uniform. So fast forward 50 years, and Monty is working on the studio for Ford versus Ferrari. Had, uh, uh, 20th Century Fox had reached out to Monty to reproduce those uniforms for Ford versus Ferrari. Ah. And we had been business partners for a while at that point, he went off to go do this film. And during it, he said, you know, we should really do this for the public. Like the, the way that we're doing this, um, we're actually even going to go farther than the film did because the film, it only matters what they see on screen, but you know, we wanted to get the exact fabrics, the exact feel, everything. So we found companies, you know, a company that, that still does hand chain stitch embroidery with machines from like the 1940s and stuff like that. Cool. Um, we found the patterns for the stuff. There's a, the welt pocket on the, on the, on the breast, the left chest there is, um, you know, very specific. It's still made on, on old machines. I mean, it's stuff that slowing down and making it the right way in honor of these guys and doing it the right way. And we're also bringing back that brand, like the Von Henkel family gave us the rights to, to bring back bowlers. And inherit their history. So we are the original company that provided uniforms to Shelby American in, you know, starting in 1963. Wow. What a Um, wonderful, wonderful story. I love it. It paints a wonderful background to bringing all this stuff forward. So uh, absolutely spectacular. We'll take a short break with sponsors again here. We come back. I want to talk a little bit about challenges. So uh, keep that in mind. Pull into the pit stops and we'll be right back. You've heard me talk about Linkage Magazine here on Cars. Yeah, for a couple of years now. Well, they're growing. And in 2023, they're going to grow from four issues a year to six. And there's an opportunity here for you to take advantage of this growth. If you go to linkagemag.com and click on the renew button, if you already subscribe, you can get a great deal. Use the code renew6 for one year and you'll get six issues for the price of four or type in renew12 for two years where you also have a great savings. Plus, they'll even throw in a free linkage hat. How cool is that? The publisher of Linkage is Donald Osborne. He's been a guest multiple times here on Cars Yeah. He's become a good friend of mine. And I'll tell you, Linkage Magazine is one of those newer magazines that you're going to want to get. It's all about experiences, 
opinions, and values. It's a wonderful publication, something I look forward to getting. And now that I'm going to be getting six a year, even more special. So go to linkagemag.com. Again, use the code RENEW6 or RENEW12 to get that special deal. Do it before December 31st, 2022, so that in 2023, you'll get six issues of Linkage Magazine instead of four. Being a professional automotive technician today requires an understanding of technology, computers, and electrical systems that are highly advanced and very complex. Cars yeah is pleased to support TechForce Foundation. It's one of our charities of choice and its efforts to help young people pursue the technical education and careers as automotive techs. Through scholarships, grants, and good old-fashioned hands-on experience with cars, trucks, boats, and more, TechForce and Carsia are working to connect young people with viable careers in the automotive sector. Join us by visiting techforce.org today. All right, we are back. We're having some fun on the break there. So, Max, uh, obstacles, challenges. I like to ask people about challenges. This could be in life or could be related to the business. Take us on a walk that might have been a little rough, but it taught you a really valuable lesson. One of the biggest challenges has been maintaining American-made. And I had a, you know, all of us, Monty, me, even Shelby and Ford were really interested in, uh, and we are, we're Shelby and Ford licensees. Was maintaining, you know, making these in in the U.S. just like uh, they were originally, and uh, it started out that way. And in the four years that we've been doing this, you know, starting with the NASA stuff, and then the last like year and a half, two years that we've been doing the Bowlers and Shelby stuff, you know, the American manufacturing community has, uh, especially textiles, has completely changed. Part of it was COVID. Some of it was before COVID. It's just one of those things. Textiles are not made in the U.S. anymore. And at one point, I was really disappointed. We were using a company to do our knits, like the you know the knit cuffs and knit collars and stuff. They were out of New York, and um, to say they didn't stand behind their product was is kind of putting it mildly. They they messed up a huge order of ours, and uh, they said, "Well, well, I guess we'll fix it next time." You know, that was really disappointing for me. And I and conversely, we dealt with a company overseas. Uh, that was excellent. Uh, and, and I had this, I had a little bit of a, uh, of a identity crisis a little bit where I said, you know, I really wanted to do it all American made at one point, a hundred percent of it was American made and when we're everything sewn in the U S and we contract with sewing shops that pay a living wage and stuff like that, which is why our stuff is not the cheapest, but it's excellent at the moment. Anyway, our team shirts are $150 each. Uh, and I, and we're not making a ton on that. Like that's, that's, that's what it costs to do it here and exactly to the original spec. But we're now getting a lot of materials are made overseas and it's not cheaper. It's just done right. And it's done. It, it's actually done. You know, and some of them we were on year long waiting lists to get fabric in the United States or we had a dying uh, a dye company that just shut down. You know, they said, well, we don't do this anymore. You know, we only acid wash jeans now, but we're not going to we don't dye. We don't do custom dyeing of, you know, hundreds of yards of fabric. So. I mean, it's not that big of a deal, but to me, it was seeing the inside of this and seeing that American manufacturing had let me down, let us down. I was very disappointed. You know, we could talk for hours about this. I worked in a company where we went through this when everything was moving to Asia and we bought and imported a lot of very high end uh, European products for the garage 
from Switzerland and even Spain and Germany and France and Italy. And, and then all of a sudden it all moved and it was like, wait, and then, and it ain't coming back. <laughs> and then it, and, and U S we had a lot of things made in the U S and it all moved. And then it became very crummy and yep. dealing. So yeah, I went through this and I tell you, I spent a long time trying to find ways to get things made in this country. And this was 15 years ago. Yeah. And couldn't do it. And then when you could do it, the cost was so high that it's one thing for Americans here to say, I want made in America. But then you say, well, the, ha- pay the hack's <laughs> not going to be $15. It's going to be 40 And they go, yep. oh, really? Oh. So, yeah. Well, and I, and I live there. I mean, I, yeah. I, I live in that space. I mean, yep. our, our products are not the cheapest. Uh, but I'll tell you, we're not, uh, you know, we're not getting you on the price. It's my mission is that it's done here and I, and I, I'm doing as much of it as, as, as I can. It's all sewn here. Um, a lot of the material, the zippers and stuff are made in the U S like there's what we can get done here, all of the embroidery and stuff. I mean, it's, it's made in downtown Los Angeles. Actually our shop, the shop that I'm using for the uh, shirts and jackets is just a few blocks away from the original bowler shirt and uniform. So yeah, that's really cool. I saw that on your website. Well, my hat's off to you and I hope that you continue down that path. I think it's, I think it's fantastic. Jobs are important everywhere in every country, but uh, jobs. In yeah, this and by country- the way, during COVID, uh, Los Angeles, you know, they they had they were closing down manufacturing because of the you know wasn't you couldn't socially distance in, on sewing tables. Um, you can, but you, it really limits the number of people that are allowed in that building. Well. Uh, and if you weren't doing essential functions, they just closed. You know, if you're making jeans and T-shirts or whatever, they closed. They would close down the shop. Well, we switched over in uh, April of 2020. April through July, I think of 2020, uh, we switched over to making masks. So we made we made somewhere in the realm. I think it was 40,000 masks in our jacket facility. Which were, you know, not hospital masks, but going home and walking around masks and stuff like that. So we made masks and we kept every one of those people in business. Um, and when they came, when Los Angeles, you know, whatever it was, the enforcement arm of this, they came knocking. We said, well, we're making, uh, and it yeah. was honest, we were making uh, essential equipment. And they said, okay, you can stay open. Yeah, yeah. And that's well, what we did. I had a lot of friends that had to do that in their businesses. The only way they could keep their their folks employed. So uh, well, and it and it made a difference. I like we I I sold and shipped, and then we donated actually about ten percent of the masks, so about two thousand masks. So maybe maybe less than ten percent, five percent or so. Some of them were big orders for uh, municipalities. It's a couple police departments ordered masks from us. Um, Designed by a former NASA doctor, by the way, the way that we did it with, uh, nice. no, it was really, I mean, as you talk about early, early pandemic that, you know, they were, they, everybody ran out of masks and they're saying these hospital masks, like we're not really that comfortable and stuff. So, um, yeah, that was very rewarding. Uh, at the same time, it was, you know, it was just one of those, like, this is what we have to do to help out. This is, you know, and keep people employed. That's the important thing. So yep. let's talk about, uh, Cool cars. You've had lots of cool cars. You have cool cars. Is there one car oh, yeah. in your uh, current or past that really stands out that you could share a story about? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I thought so. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, uh, the Al Warden car is iconic uh, in many ways. Uh, I mean, just these astronauts embodied this like more than jet set. I mean, I mean, I don't even know what the word is. I mean, it's beyond jet set. You picture you picture like, you know, a Pan Am pilot's jet set. 
they're rocket aces, you know, and they and they drove Corvettes. Uh, Jim Rath through General Motors and Jim Rathman, they got a Corvette. Any uh, any GM car they could rent for a dollar a year. Nice. Oh yeah, no. Since since the Mercury program, I mean, Al Alan Shepard and these guys, John Glenn, I think was the only one that he got. He got a. Uh, you know, like a country squire or something like that. He, uh, he, cause he had kids, they all had kids, but some of them didn't, you know, pay attention to them that much. John Glenn <laughs> was a good family man and he got a, he got a station wagon, but, uh, all these other guys used, used to get Corvettes and it was right off the line. They just got them out of the showroom. Jim Rathman, you know, he picked them up at Jim Rathman. Apollo 12 is the second mission to land on the moon. Pete Conrad, Alan Bean, and Dick Gordon. And they decided they were going to get custom made matching Corvettes and they went through Jim Rathman General Motors and they they had these gold and black Corvettes all uh, 427 big block and of those three they they went everywhere with them and there's tons of pictures of them with them I think the uh, the the gold and black paint scheme was designed by a automotive designer too it wasn't just picked out of the blue and they had their names written on the side of them and stuff like that so of those of those three only one exists and it's the Allen Bean car. Danny Reed, who owned it or who owns it, bought it directly from General Motors. They they gave them back after a year, and then General Motors did a, uh, a um, closed bid auction, and Danny bought it directly. You know, in 1971, he bought it from General Motors, and he's had it ever since then. And it's one of the inducted cars in the National You Know Cars Hall of Fame and stuff like that. Um, it sat on the it sat in a glass case in front of the Capitol building in uh, Washington D.C. for a little while. I mean, it's that yeah, that glass box they've got there, yeah. Yep, that's um, that's that's one of the Astrovets. Wow, Astrovet. See, they should have changed the name to Astrovet. You know, Astrovet isn't it? Cool? <laughs> it would have sold. Well, that's the name. That's that's the name of this project, Astrovet Endeavor. And uh, several years later, somebody reached out to Danny and said, "You know, I think I found another one of these because the, that was the only one that they could find out of the six. So Apollo twelve had three, and then Apollo fifteen who had been the backup crew for Apollo 12 when their time came up to be a primary crew, uh, Dave Scott, Al Warden and Jim Irwin decided that they were going to do it, do the same thing, but theirs were going to be red, white, and blue instead of, instead of gold and black. So they ordered them. I can tell you this one was delivered February 15th, 1971. And then they, they went to the moon later that year and, uh, Al gave his back and then it disappeared. No, it disappeared until 2017. And someone said, I think I found it. And Danny Reed went out and picked it up and it was sitting, it was sitting outside basically in a, in a, uh, in a pole barn, you know, outside of a pole barn, a literally a barn find of an astronaut car. <laughs> well, everything changes. Well, like I said, I'm going to crawl into your skull here a little bit. Sure. If you were reincarnated, manifest as a vehicle, not, as, not what you want to be, how you perceive yourself deep down inside, what would you be and why? Hmm. Uh, I would be an army Jeep. An army, okay. Well, you've got one yeah. of those, right? I do. Yeah, I do, and Why I an identify. Army Jeep? <laughs> I, um, I, it's kind of a jack of all trades, right? It's uh, it it does a little bit of everything, and I kind of do a little bit of everything. I'm I'm a scuba diver. I'm a historic diver. I, I dive Mark V dive helmets and stuff just to Whoa. teach people about. It. If you could see, uh, there's one right behind me in my office. I see that. That's a yeah, very good. Very cool. Yeah. So you actually get into one of those things? Yeah, it's 190 pounds with all the gear. Oh my gosh! Wow. Yeah. Again, living history. You do it for real, yeah. and and yeah. and then I can now talk about. It. I uh, I do stuff with uh, historic ship museums too. I one of my passions is um, you know military history and stuff. And I started out working at World War II sites, so. World War II Jeep is kind of the perfect car for me. I, uh, I, it, it's in the time period, 
it has just enough technological advancements to be, you know, a modern car. You didn't have to set your own spark advance. Yeah, just or enough. <laughs> just by, by like about two years, like yeah. they didn't have to do spark advance. And it's, uh, it can go anywhere and do anything. It's just, it's the Swiss army knife of, uh, of cars. And I don't like it, believe it or not. I don't like going fast too much. I mean, I enjoy a quick car. But, um, you know, slow and steady wins the race. So. Yeah, yeah. You know, there was a 45 miles an hour, you know, is fine for me. At the uh, Ironstone Concord, they had a group of guys that had an old army Jeep and they took that thing apart, moved it 10 feet and put it all back together. Like within five minutes, I think it was like incredible. Just well, yeah. The fun. Canadians used to do that. They called, I think they were called ready Jeep and they, you really couldn't drive them because they were all held together with pins and stuff like that. But yeah, you can, they would take a running one take it apart, put it back together, you know, 10 guys or whatever. Uh, they're just the coolest thing. And you can work on them. That's the other thing. I love being able to roll up my sleeves in them. Uh, I, um, my points went dead. Like something happened. I think a screw got loose in the distributor and the points went out. I was driving down points. the street and, you know, yeah. the points, Remember points. they, they <laughs> open up too much and you, you know, you lose your engine. Like, and, and there's nothing you can do. It's not yep. the battery. It's not literally on the side of a very busy street in my neighborhood. Cause I, I drive my Jeep to, you know, go pick up groceries or, you know, a six pack or whatever. I pulled over. Well, kind of the car was already pulled. Out. I wasn't going anywhere. Popped the hood in the back uh, uh, the, they all came with a tool roll. I unrolled the tool roll on the fender. I popped a couple screwdrivers out, a, my spare set of points. And I, and I fixed that thing right in front of traffic. I mean, as cars are zooming by and I, you know what? And I hopped in, fired it back up and I drove home. You know, where were you? I had a, my first Porsche 911 was a 74 and I was in the middle of a, probably the big, busiest intersection in San Diego. And of points, course, that's points, where you always get a break. My points failed me and I'm in a suit and I'm getting out trying to push the car and I'll never forget <laughs> this. You know, I saved and saved to buy that car. It was used. And this guy drives by in a truck and he goes, sir, if you're right, you're rich mother effer. You know, and I'm like, I'm not rich. I'm just, of course. help me, you know? And yeah, it turned out to be the point. I'm not rich. So. I just have a sickness. That's yeah, <laughs> that's true. Yeah. So ended up going to one of those electronic ignitions system that didn't happen again well let's talk about a great book okay because uh yeah. otherwise you and i could talk for days here we I, should talk for days well, i think that would be a so. fun podcast we can have you come back how about a great book is there a great book you'd like to share that uh, you think people should crack open and read i have two okay. am i allowed to have two of course the first is again because al is my fr uh, was a friend of mine very good friend of mine um and francis french who uh was his co-author on this book al warden's autobiography uh, falling to earth, mm. which is about him as a, uh, you know, growing up in Michigan on a, on a farm. Um, uh, real quick. So on the Apollo program, they sent three guys up to the moon. One guy stayed in the command module while the other two went down the lunar module. Yeah. So this guy's by himself floating around the moon. Yeah. Um, and there's always questions for these guys. You know, what did you do? Were you lonely or whatever? Al Warden actually holds the record to this day. He has a Guinness world record of being the most lonely America, a lonely human in history. Uh, he, the way the, the, the apogee, well, no, I mean, there were, there were lots of these guys There were, you know, five or six of them, but his specifically the apogee of his orbit on the moon meant that he was the only human for 5,000 nautical miles, which is impossible. Uh, you right. know, anywhere on the surface of the earth, you'd have to go to another planet to do this. And, you know, be far enough away from the other two guys that, you know, so by by nature of his orbit, because he was doing uh, scientific photography of the moon, they, they came out a little bit farther. He's still the the loneliest human in, in wow. history. And he wrote a book about 
about his life and what led up to that and then how it changed him after he came home. Yeah, the whole program and being able to see the moon or being able to see the earth, the size of your thumbprint, an outstretched arm thumbprint, uh, you know, being able to put everything you've ever known or you're going to know or the entire human history behind your thumb. That's a uh, paradigm uh, shift. Holy cow. And no kidding, especially <laughs> for a guy who's a combat pilot. I mean, this guy was an Air Force pilot, West Point graduate, uh, was a flight test engineer for, you know, at, at Edwards Air Force Base with uh, Chuck Yeager. I mean, like this guy was a was a stone cold, smart and competent you know, excellent pilot. He trained his first year being a test pilot. He became a trainer test pilot, you know, wow. uh, his first year. Yeah. And then he became, he, he literally helped design the command module on the Apollo program. He's one of the fourth group of astronauts and, uh, uh, they sent him to the moon. You know, he was, he, he was one of the 24 men to go to the moon. So, um, when he came back, he said I was uh, inexplicably changed and I want to, uh, he spent the rest of his life, um, trying to get people to be inspired in the same way. Um, so Falling to Earth by Al Warden and Francis French is a phenomenal book. The second book is by another command module pilot by the name of Michael Collins, who was the command module pilot on Apollo 11 and of blessed memory. He just died about a year ago. He's a quiet man, came from a very famous military family. His father was a, a general in the army during World War II, and uh, he decided <laughs> to go into the Air Force just despite his whole family. Like, yeah. seriously. So Mike Collins writes about in his book, Carrying the Fire. And it's he and he wrote it all himself uh, while he was the director of the National Air and Space Museum. And uh, that's one of his proudest things he ever did was uh, was create the the current National Air and Space Museum on the mall in uh, Washington, D.C. was built by Michael Collins. I had the very distinct pleasure of meeting him. Uh, Al introduced me to Mike Collins and um one of the nicest guys in the world. And he's he's going to be very missed. But his his soul is in that book, Carrying the Fire. And I strongly suggest people reading it. It's very inspiring, especially for people that are quiet and like are, are not, you know, that outgoing and stuff. There's a lot going on behind quiet people's of course. eyes. You yeah, know, especially and, somebody with that kind of intellect. Holy cow. Oh, and he was funny. I, Mike Collins was the funniest guy. He said for the 50th anniversary of Apollo 11, he said, you know, I've answered these questions, the same questions for the past 50 years. Were you lonely? No. What it had you go to the bathroom? You don't want to know, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. and he said, this is the question that this is the, in my retirement from being a NASA astronaut, uh, you know, Air Force general, a, uh, you know, he, uh, he was an undersecretary of state at one point in time, like, and then, you know, director of national air and space museum. And uh, now he's in his eighties and he says, the one question I want to answer is what's the best Cabernet under $12. <laughs> So when I met him, I gave him a list. My father collects wine. I gave him okay. a list that my father made of the best cabs under $12. Wow, bet he, he really that. appreciated that. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love it. Well, I like to ask my guests about what I call the ultimate drive. I have a feeling we may be doing something rather unique on Cars Yet today. And maybe it's the ultimate flight. I don't know. But if I can enable you to go on the ultimate drive or flight, I'll provide you with any vehicle. If you want an Apollo spaceship, I'll send sure. you up to the moon. I have a feeling that might be where we're going, but we'll see. What does the ultimate drive or flight look like for you, Max? Oh, yeah. I would absolutely you know, go to the moon with, uh, with these guys. The guys I just mentioned, Mike Collins, Al Warden. Uh, there's only three of us that can fit in there, but, uh, I, I think, and, and honestly, I mean, uh, if he didn't have a heart condition, maybe Carol Shelby, I think that that would have been, that would have been a heck of a, of a mission. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, love I it. mean, the, the stories, 
I mean, you got to realize the time period this was the nineteen late nineteen sixties. So um, Apollo know, eight, how they did it, <laughs> Apollo eight. I, yeah, yeah. I mean, like you're talking about, they're still using. You know, they just got like solid state resistors and stuff. You know, like they were not using vacuum tubes for like four or five years. And I think the Russians actually did use vacuum tubes, and they and they got up. They didn't go to the moon, but they went up into space and stuff like that. And it's just like. Can you imagine what we can do today? And I, I'm really looking forward to the uh, Artemis program. And I think that all of these, all of these astronauts and the people that have been following this for the last 50 years are really interested. So, going up in an Artemis ship with these old guys, uh, and and then some of the the support crew, um, Jerry Griffin, who's one of the a really good friend of mine, who was one of the flight directors. Um, you know, you always hear about Gene Kranz and stuff like that. Well, Jerry Griffin was one of the same guys, and. Uh, um, but gee, you're not into this at all. I, you know, I really thought this would be more interesting talk, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah. oh boy. Wow. Well, you know, what's interesting is a lot of Apollo astronauts were into racing. You know, they actually, they had to have a bulletin at one point to tell the guys, yeah, you gotta, you gotta be careful because you know, if you get cracked up on a, yeah, you're you going to mess up racing, with our whole, yeah, we're going to, yeah, we're going to, we're going to have to cancel submissions and stuff or, or, you know, send in backup crews. These guys were racing on the weekends, SCCA and stuff like that. Daring so it's a great man. overlap. There's, there's a Venn diagram of astronaut and racer that's kind of that that has a huge overlap, you know. I, well, I can imagine why. Matt, you've taken us on a quite wonderful ride today, and I would love to have you leave us with some words of inspiration, uh, mantra, success quote, something to leave us with today. Oh, I, I'm not as I'm not as well read as I should be, you know. I, I somehow I doubt that. <laughs> yeah. Right. So yeah, this sounds kind of corny, but uh, you know, look to the look to the stars. You know, like there's there's really you no know, there's really a a um a thing to that. You know, if you if you th if you think you can do it, you probably can. And even if you don't think you can do it, you can just do it. And that's how we started Lunar Replicas. I mean, it's just an idea. Uh, and you have the right mission, and you wind up you look to the stars, and a lot of that kind of came together. And I, I I'm very very fortunate the people that have uh, joined me in that journey. Awesome. I love it. How can people learn more about Luna Replicas? Well, funny you should ask, Mark. Yes. You can go to lunarreplicas.com anytime you want. 24 hours a day. No. <laughs> right, I'll do it for <laughs> you're, you. No, you were doing that. was great. Did, I you, did that. you want you want the you want the, the tagline? Oh yeah. Mark, you can go to lunarreplicas.com. Uh, check us out there. We have a separate page just talking about Astrovet Endeavor, which is what we're doing for the Al Warden Corvette. Uh, Lunar Replicas is split up into two halves. You have the NASA section and then you have the historic racing section where we have the Ford and Shelby uniforms and equipment that are coming and much, much more to come. We're just kind of at the tip of the iceberg right now. Um, and, uh, yeah. I love it. Well, listen, listeners, check them out because you're going to smile when you see what they got going on there. And who knows? You could even maybe be a little bit of a convert from a car guy to an Apollo space guy, rocket man. So, uh, you know, there you go. Check it out. Easy to find Luna replicas. I'll put a link to that on Max's show notes page, but just Google it. It'll pop right up. And I want to do a shout out. Thank you to our mutual friend, Harry Hurst. Harry. Your recent guest, Harry. Thanks for bringing an awesome guest here, dude. Wow. Uh, nice treat. By the way, speaking of Harry, the AstroVet is currently at the Simeon Foundation in Philadelphia. <clears throat> if you want to take a look at Al Warden's car before we restore it, uh, actually, we're going to have a conversation about what we should do and how we should restore it, which is going to be a really nice talk we're going to do with Harry and some other guests coming up in uh, the next few weeks and months uh, at the Simeon. So if you want to see, you want to live it. And, and there's a mannequin of Al Warden right in front of the car, too. So we <laughs> 
he's, he's still with us. I love it. I love it. Yeah. And uh, I'm going to be having the uh, new director of the Simeon Foundation, uh, the collection on the show here very soon. Of course, we lost Fred Simeon earlier this year, sadly. Uh, he was a guest here on Cars Yes. So if you want to go back and listen to his comments about his car collection, his life and so forth, you can do that on the Cars Yeah website. Max, thanks for being so generous today with your time and your Thank you. expertise. This is great fun. Until you and I talk again, I usually say I'll see you down the road, but maybe I'll see you flying out there in space somewhere. <laughs> see you, Mark. Thanks for, thanks for having me. <laughs> You're welcome. This was great. Thank you so much for joining us on today's ride here at Cars Yeah. Drive on over to CarsYeah.com to find show notes and inspiring automotive fun. Download your free copy of Filler Up, a fun book filled with gorgeous photographs of fuel filler fun, including quotes from more inspiring automotive enthusiasts. Download your copy today, and we'll see you next time on Cars Yeah!